Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey friends, my name is Andre and this is the Tennis and Bagels podcast, a podcast about essentially anything tennis and right now we have like a pretty big event going on and Roland Garros, don't really need to tell you about this much and I'm here with Vansh again, um, well as he is my co-host so it would be obvious that he'd be here with me, how are you, how are you doing man? Yeah, been good Andre, uh, interesting first week here at the, of Roland Garros in uh, late September, early October so happy to talk about it with you. Yeah, sure. I think it's interesting that you just mentioned that. And maybe let us just start talking a bit about this because, like last time you did an episode with Owen, uh, you obviously did the uh, preview, so that nobody was really playing unless maybe they were practicing and whatnot. But like we haven't had any uh, action, we couldn't see anything from. So how do you find like in terms of like seeing the the, the players? Um, you, you notice that you just mentioned before we started recording that it looks pretty cold there, and players are all playing like just fully covered like pants and uh, long shirts long sleeves yeah i mean the first week was a completely different scene both from an optical standpoint and also from you know players adjustment standpoint um just you know having to come uh onto the site living in a bubble which i think is actually a, a different kind of a bubble than what they had at the u.s open a lot of players are saying that it's not really per se a bubble um mm -hmm. given that there are other player other guests returning to and from the hotel that aren't tennis players. And so, um, you know, but for, for the most part, because of the COVID restrictions and the fact that now they have a new roof um, on Philip Chatrier, so it means that we now have matches extending into the night. And it starts off early in the day with really cold temperatures. We're seeing, you know, like uh, 10 to 12 degrees, heavy, slow, wet conditions. It's just like to clarify as well, just clarifying as well that like... Um... 10 to 12 degrees Celsius. So in Fahrenheit, that would be something like 50, you said? Yes, around 50 to 55 degrees, which is really cold for these players who are, you know, generally, you know, tennis is played in a very neutral to warm climate uh, for most of the year. And generally Paris is, you know, as you know, is obviously played in May and June where it's, you know, sunny and sunny and it, it rains for the, it rains for a little bit, but not, not the kind of stretch that we're seeing here. And we see how, how difficult it is for players to really hit through the court. I think that's the big thing is that it's the bounce is much lower. They're using different balls this year. So, you know, in previous years, uh, they've used the Babolat balls, which are livelier. They're higher bouncing. They take the spin really well. And it really jumps yeah. off the racket, which, you know, really helps a guy like Rafa Nadal, who's won this tournament 12 times. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, it's it makes it a little bit neutral and interesting and obviously i think the top players uh the stars they really have a, a big advantage here playing most of their matches on 
Philip Chartier where they're pretty much guaranteed to go on and they have a roof, whereas all the other players, they really have to adjust. And we've seen players come out uh, wearing, you know, long sleeves and heavy jackets mm-hmm. and really big leggings. And, you know, it, it just, I, I guess we can talk about forehands and backhands, but I think it's important to mention the conditions this week yeah it's a it's very very weird because like i being from montreal i've well we we gotta catch whatever positive temperatures that we got right so (laughs) to play tennis outside uh since we have like a a winter that lasts for six months and whatnot um and i've played at like temperatures as low as like nine degrees maybe eight and um at first is really uncomfortable and i cannot even imagine like hitting the ball as hard as they do like of course that their bodies are far fitter than mine but like regardless it's a it's still like a proportional toll that they take on their on their bodies like in a sense that uh it feels weird it feels awkward like your 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 limbs are it's kind of like a cold and it's tough to warm up you, you do get warmed up like after a while you barely feel it especially if it's sunny if it's a little bit more windy and like conditions are just kind of a little bit more like overcast it, it definitely can take a while to warm up and i cannot even imagine like how weird the conditions are being for them to just get their bodies adapted not even their minds just like their bodies to just kind of like hit through the ball and do the right thing move their feet and follow through and all things like that and and as you said like the ball is bouncing super low and it's just dying i saw dominic team um some of the highlights of course i haven't really been able to watch watch much of that um sadly but it's like the on the highlights team on that return position, he's almost getting the ball like to his knees. It's it's just incredible. It's 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 just so strange. Like it, and drop shots are just abounding. Like the I've seen every single highlight reel that I watched is a ton of drop shots. There was uh when he when team played against uh, Gaston, it was drop shot galore. The ball would just and the ball does barely even bounces forward when they drop shot it, it just stays in place just bounces up and down and that's it, it just dies out and you would think uh, there was some discussions as well on tennis twitter about how nadal would probably um enjoy this or, well some would say obviously he's not exactly like the most favorable in his lower lower conditions and i guess right now it's a little bit more easy to see why because it kind of neutralizes a little bit of his spin it doesn't bounce as high as you just mentioned and also, because he he has enough time to to prepare his uh, his his ground strokes, I it's kind of like a, my personal analysis from my almost like a like a like a fan point of view. Just on on the regular season of like summer clay, uh, Nadal gets enough time to hit his balls, but he he can he to like you know uh, prepare his uh, his motion and hit through the forehands and the backhands. But um, now he can't really hit through opponents because they have just as much time to defend. And I think it's just kind of like making players have to think outside of the box to win points at this point because they can they cannot blast through uh, opponents because the defense plays are just extremely feasible right now. And you don't want to get caught in six, seven-hour matches, you know, seven-hour long matches, you know, it's... And it seems like it could be entirely possible. Like a Djokovic-Nadal match, I feel like they're they're fearing for their careers if they meet in the final. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you said a lot of great things there. One was the, you, talk, you talked about Nadal and how, you know, nobody can really hit through this court. Like, you feel like it's so slow and so heavy that even some of the big hitters that we really anticipated would 
you know, be able to tear through any surface just with their sheer weight of shot and power. I think the weight of shot is not being rewarded as much as it would be in their normal circumstances. And so players are having to use a lot more guile and creativity and finesse in order to win points. Mm-hmm. You mentioned the drop shots. I mean, that's a big, big uh, asset this week because it's just, it's so hard for the players to just thrust forward and use their momentum and movement when they're used to being two, three, four meters behind the baseline to come. I mean, I think team said after the match, he had to run and do sprints over 400 times because Gaston hit like 55 drop shots in, in the, in the five set win. And it was just such a great test for Dominic team. Uh, and eventually, eventually his power came through in the end um, when he, when he found another level in the fifth set, but you know, certainly that that those tactics work so well in these conditions because you have to you know like you said be able to finish points and finishing points has has been so hard for so many players like the likes of team Vavrinka Berrettini is a guy who's super strong and has that big serve that you thought would be able to hit through the court didn't quite happen and so I think it, it really favors the guys who are steady baseliners but also use a lot of variety and are able to and the good ball strikers, like we're seeing a guy like Yannick Sinner do really well because yeah. he has time to set up. And when he's hitting, when he's unleashing those forehands and backhands from the middle of the court, I mean, those are so, so heavy, so, uh, so well struck linearly, linearly yeah. speaking. And they don't have a lot of shape on them necessarily, but they do a lot of damage on these lower bouncing courts. And I think that's key is to get to get the players moving and kind of use all the different angles, which is why we've been seeing, for instance, Novak Djokovic hitting so many drop shots as mm-hmm. well. And he's been looking, he's been looking really good so far this week. I mean, I, and so, you know, I think that the players that we thought would get to the quarterfinals for the most part on the men's side, you know, have done so. I mean, yes, we had a lot of qualifiers. We had a lot of upsets. We had Medvedev going out in the first round, for instance, which yeah. I guess at this point isn't really... Which, by the way, wasn't exactly a surprise. Let's just be honest on that one, yeah. For sure. Definitely wasn't. And then so, you know, we have we have a really good quarterfinal lineup now, which features, yeah. you know, four of the players that I thought would definitely get there, like Diego Schwartzman I'm putting in that fourth category, just because of mm-hmm. how much I know he loves these conditions. Yeah. I think for him it's so favorable too because he's... he's basically a base learner he's not a big server um and uh, he's gonna have time to to protect his serve especially on the second delivery i think it's with the, the lower bouncing balls he he might even be able to if players are waiting too far inside of the baseline i feel like he can he he would be able to reset the point by just like hitting a deep uh deep ball uh back into the baseline and there is one thing that i i'm just wondering if like if you want to take time away from your opponent in those courts, like I feel like it could be really rewarding to go to the net. I feel like I've, I've seen, um, uh, for example, Djokovic, uh, Khachanov, they both went to the net um, like over 20 times. And not to say that this is like abnormally high or anything. It's almost like sounds like a, like a regular statistic, but like on, on clay, it would be even possible for them to not go as much to the net like, like that, you know? But, like, if you want to take time away from your opponent, I feel like going to the net, like, sneaky, like that, I feel like it could be a really good strategy. Just try to cover the net, like, really well. Um, it, it would be interesting to try that one. You'll have to find a different way to come forward to the net, I guess. 
but mm. it could be either by drop shotting and then you know yeah. playing a cat and mouse point. It could be by finding an angle, like maybe an inside in or inside out, and hit it short in the court, like you know, like a short angle, and then come in and cover it. Because I think it's really hard at this point for players to push each other behind the baseline just with their sheer oh, yeah. rate of shot, like I mentioned. So, absolutely, coming to the net is extremely is an extremely rewarding tactic, and you know, one that I, I think. You know, some of these guys, some of these taller guys, I think, don't quite have in their arsenal. You mentioned Karen Hatchinov against Novak Djokovic today. I mean, Hatchinov did not play a bad match. He was steady from the base from the baseline. He was going toe to toe with Novak in those baseline exchanges. Um, and I think a lot of a lot of the problems were that um, even though Hatchinov is able to set himself up in these slower courts, they help his uh, they help his range of motion and mobility a little bit. He's playing a guy like Djokovic, and if he can't take advantage of his weapons being six foot six with a big serve, a big finishing shot, big volleys, he, he doesn't have great hands at the net. And so I think, mm. you know, Djokovic was really able to employ a lot more variety than Hatchinov and really keep him, keep him guessing on almost every ground stroke because just going toe-to-toe from the back of the court, you know, isn't good enough anymore with, yeah. the, with the depth these days. And 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 on the surface, yeah. and so it, it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see because yeah. we do have a different we do have eight players now in the quarters and they all play you know a very complete style I'd say yeah yeah I think it's also kind of like almost fitting in a sense that Djokovic gets to play Karina Busta again it's almost, it'll be almost like his redemption match if he can like pull this off like. I don't know if he has any anything that like brings on like in, some sort of like a pressure in terms of like being a nervousness of like facing the same guy like trying to if he feels like he's like putting himself into the same situation again uh, like, as he did in New York. But I, I don't know. I feel like I feel like Djokovic has the game as he he had the game to beat him back in, in New York. He messed up big, but yeah, maybe I feel like. I feel like he, he's far more likely than, than Karina Busta to, to win this match, honestly. I'll, I'll say on that, I, I actually think Karina Busta is such a well-deserving quarterfinalist here. You know, I was looking oh, at yeah. his matches and I was looking at the way he's been playing. I mean, he's been super, super efficient this whole week. And he's not had an easy draw at all. I mean, he had to get through some really, really good veterans and clay court, clay court specialists. Uh, and, you know, yeah. real grinders that you thought he would get in more trouble with, but he was really able to impose himself. He's so solid, doesn't miss much from the back of the court, and, you know, has intent on all of his shots. And he was able to get past yeah. John Millman, get past Guido Pea, get past Bautista Agut, who I thought would give him a, a, a much tougher test, to be honest with you, and he got by that in four sets. And then today he went, yeah. he won easily, as you know, against the German qualifier, um, Altmaier, who was playing really, really well, and had just beaten Mariti in mm. the round before. I actually think... Krenu Busta is a bigger test for Djokovic than a Berrettini would have been, for instance. Because, you know, the yeah. way, only way Berrettini can really beat Djokovic is serve him off the court or hit him off the court, which ain't going to happen in these slow conditions. So I think a yeah. guy like Krenu Busta can really test Djokovic's legs. I think he's not going to miss much from the baseline. He's going to be able to remain solid. Um, he's going to be able to trade with Novak. It's, he's going to have, you know, some pop on his shots. And I, I noticed he's been, he's been hitting with more variety, too. Krenu Busta, I watched some highlights today and he was hitting a lot of drop shots himself and a lot of, uh, and you know, winning a lot of cat and mouse points. So I think it's going to be interesting at the end of the day. I think Novak just has way too much um, in the arsenal. 
and just mm. and you know especially after what happened in New York that I, I just don't see Karenabusa sustaining it for too long or you know having the firepower to get to beat Djokovic because I, I just think everything he does you know Djokovic is just a little bit better at serve return yeah. forehands backhands you know net play variety everything I think Djokovic is just a step ahead but I think uh, it mm. could be a it could be his biggest test. I think he'll trouble him in ways that, for instance, a Hatchinov, uh, who was his biggest seed so far, couldn't. So I think yeah, yeah. Djokovic is where he wants to be. Yeah, I, in terms of uh, Karina Busta and Bautista Gur, I feel like if you were uh, regular conditions at Roland Garros, even with the same old ball that they used to uh, use before, I think Karin, um, I think Bautista Gur would have been a bigger challenge. But I think this court like requires a lot more um, thinking and variety in the game. So I feel like Bautista Gut kind of misses that a little bit in his game. He hits the ball really well, but he doesn't necessarily like pull out. I feel like he doesn't pull out as much angles, and I feel like Karina Bus has a little bit more shots. It has a, a little bit more shots than uh, uh, Bautista Gut would have. I just think that Djokovic has a little bit more variety. Well, a little bit being like very like. Um, Honest in the sense, like, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm being really generous with the like, Karina Busa. Like, I feel like Djokovic has way more variety actually in his game. So I feel like this, this, this will be like I feel like the ultimate difference in this match. Honestly, it will be. And you know, I mean, you mentioned a good point about Bautista Good. I mean, that's why a guy like Medvedev couldn't hit through the court at all because these because of the trajectory mm. of his shots, right? I mean, both these guys hit the ball so flat, like they're piercing ground strokes, mm. but they don't go through the they don't go through the clay in the same way, and the ball sits up, and they're the players who are able to have more variety and hit with more shape, I think because like Karina Busta has more shape on his shots than than a guy like mm-hmm. RBA. And so, yeah. you know, you could really see that in the in the, in the the matchups. And same thing when Fuksovic played um, Medvedev in the first round. But I mean, other than that, I mean, were there any, you know, major disappointments to you? Like, I guess, in terms of the top seeds on the men's side this week? Um. I would I I wanted to say I wanted to say maybe uh, either Vavrinka or uh, Zverev. I don't although like when I look at them like for example Vavrinka obviously had um is is kind of like coming back as well uh, a, a little bit like Murray but like less intense so it's understandable that he would lose also his game is more prone as well to win when the conditions are a little bit faster than this so so he, he was probably the the reason why he couldn't he couldn't make it against Gaston who just made it um just had it's a crafty player let's put it this way and uh in terms of uh Zverev I had high hopes that he would probably maybe even be able to like play against uh, well play Nadal and uh give him a hard time being the first one but losing to Sinner, the way he's playing, the way Sinner's playing, the way people um, see Sinner as one of the greatest of the next generation of players. He's a, probably like, what, 19 right now? So I don't think there is much shame in, in, in losing to Sinner. And I, I can totally, completely understand that, seriously. So I really don't, don't have that many disappointments, seriously. I'm happy that Tsitsipas actually made it even to the, the quarterfinal. So that would be my major disappointment if he had lost before then. Yeah, uh, so you mentioned Wawrinka and Zverev. That's, those are good points. I think uh, Wawrinka, you know, I think we all had really high hopes for him when we saw his first round match. We've seen kind of players have a really good first or, first or second round matches and then things haven't quite transpired for them 
in the manner that, you know, most of us were predicting. For instance, we, mm-hmm. you know, right when the draw came out, everyone was ooing and eyeing, and, you know, we spend a lot of time on this me and Owen talking about how um, how epic and how poetic the Murray-Vavrinka first-round match would, would be. And then we mm-hmm. saw, you know, we saw what Stan was able to do to, do to Andy on those, uh, in, in, in these conditions, and really just overpower him and take control of the match. Uh, and one of the most dominant performance performances or one-sided losses that Murray has ever faced in his career. I mean, which is which is understandable. He's still coming back from a major from a major layoff and major injury, and he will have his moments. But I think at this point, you know, against a player like Stan playing the way he was playing. It was just all. It was all just a bit too much, and it just happened too quickly. And I think Murray will have to go back to the drawing board, and really just, you know, see how he can play the game a little bit differently and take more chances. But I think from from Stan's perspective, he, he had a very good first couple of rounds, and then he ran into, like you said, a guy with more creativity, with more, uh, with more margin in his shots as well. We saw Stan being pressed and going for way too much on his on his shots and. Uh, you know, making a lot of unforced errors because a player like Gaston with his creativity and his drop shots and his use of angles will do that too to a guy like Wawrinka, who, by the way, I think Wawrinka will have moments of brilliance. He will continue to reach. Uh, he will continue to be a top 20 player. He'll continue to have, you know, get to the quarters, fourth round, third round. I think that's reasonable for us to expect that from him. But for him to show up and win slams like he or get to semis and finals like he was five years ago, and be in the prime of his career. I mean, I just don't think he's going to have that consistent. He has that consistency, and I don't think he quite moves the same well, frankly, as he did, let's mm-hmm. say, five years ago. So, you know, I think that was a big wake-up call for me in the sense that I need to adjust how I think about Stan Wawrinka moving forward. You know, just in the sense mm-hmm. that he can have a really, really hot day and even beat one of the big three guys, or even, you know, even, dare I say, even beat Djokovic or something in a fourth-round match, and then you know, you can follow it up with a with uh, with a with a performance like that the next day. So, yeah, I think I, I think we have to see about that. And then uh, you mentioned Zverev. You know, I mean Zverev uh, Zverev versus Sinner was quite interesting. If you heard that, uh, you know, Zverev took to the court, admittedly having been sick, and he yeah, he loses the first two sets, and Sinner is playing magnificently. And you look at the match stats, and Zverev has only hit five winners. And you're thinking yeah. to yourself, like, oh, this must be the counter-attacking, defending Zverev, who's, you know, five, six feet behind the baseline and, you know, has nothing on his shots, and Sinner is just attacking and, you know, just throwing him throwing him around and mm. dominating the points, essentially. But then you see that he had he lacked a lot of intensity, and then he somehow came back and won the third set, and then we, we had a four-set win for Sinner. Uh, albeit very impressive, but you didn't really think he was sick or anything uh, when you were watching that, even though he did call the trainer a couple times. And, you know, mm. to hear him say open mouth in his press conference that I shouldn't have gone to the court today and I and I was sick and I had a 100-degree fever after my match with Cechidato in the third round, just to hear him mm. say those words, I think was really quite baffling. And I think it just shows you again that tennis players, you know, while having good intentions while everything being in, in place. I guess there's two sides to the coin. I guess there's two people to blame for a situation like that. One is the tournament for not having stricter protocols yeah. and not taking their temperatures every day, like, for instance, the U.S. Open was doing. And then the other is Zvera for holding personal and social responsibility in a global pandemic to not 
step out of the court. I mean, I, I get it. Like the stakes are extremely high. It's a it's a it's an important match. It's an important match for your career. It's there's a lot on the line. There's a lot of pressure from sponsors or whatever it may be. But you know, you're endangering. You're potentially endangering the whole draw by doing by doing that. And you know, I mean, I guess some players spoke out spoke on about it and said like, I mean. It's possible that there weren't COVID condition, they weren't COVID symptoms. Like he could have just had a fever and it could have just been a viral flu mm-hmm. or something. But then the tournament came up with a statement saying that Zverev didn't even consult a doctor or something. And we've actually learned a little bit more about. So this was yesterday, and we've actually learned a little bit more today that he tested negative, which is a right. fingers crossed for the rest of the tournament. Honestly. Yeah. Also, fingers crossed that it's not a, a false negative too. It's not a false negative. That's the other thing with COVID tests too, right? Mm-hmm. So I mean. From that standpoint, that was a little bit of a scare for the tournament. But, I mean, for Yannick Sinner, he's had an incredible rise to the tournament. By the way, did you know he's the only... He's the first guy to get to the quarterfinals of a main draw at RG. His first appearance since uh, Nadal in 2005. Since Gustavo Kirsten? Since, uh, since, since, since Rafa yeah. Nadal in 2005, who then went on, as you know, and won the title. So, yeah, exactly. you know, he's in elite company there, and he's only 19, and he's playing going up against Nadal and, tomorrow last match on mm-hmm. so I mean he was a very deserving quarterfinalist yeah. and he did beat Gofan yeah. in the first round right I mean it's a pretty good draw I mean when you're not a seeded player you're convincingly going to have a good draw like going up like you it's going to be very deserved whatever, however far you make it into this land like honestly because it, it's not, obviously the, the people that get it the, the toughest is definitely the unseeded players like it's no doubt about it but like honestly the no no shame also for the seated players because they they earned their place right so it's fine. Um, one thing that I find is really interesting about the um, is very senior matches that you look at the aces and double faults and I see three six and three to four, but the player that hit the most double faults is actually Sinner and not Zverev. <laughs> um, and it seems like he it seems like he's getting his himself together in that regard. Uh, it, it would be it, it's said that he. He was uh, sick, so they couldn't actually see that in action with like a 100% healthy Zverev. But that's good signs. Honestly, I feel like while tennis-wise, this is good signs. Obviously, like and I have a great big picture outside of the tennis courts. It definitely feels like yeah, man, you shouldn't have taken on the courts. That that's definitely um, the thing as well. Yeah, I mean that's a good point about the double faults. A lot of those came in the third set when I think Sinner was realizing what he was on the verge of accomplishing. And then, yeah. you know, Zverev got, was able to hang around and stay in the match. But just overall, it, it just seemed like he had very little energy. And he just looked weak in the first two sets. And I think it was more yeah. about his baseline play and his, and, you know, his natural tendency to just defend and play four or five feet behind the baseline and, you know, kind of rely on his consistency to get him through. And, you know, opponents kind of buckling under that, under that pressure that it put that it puts on them, so and mm. I think it it just didn't it just didn't work for him this time around, and you know honestly he's been he's been doing well to manage his game, you know he got to the finals of the U.S. Open he got to the semis of Australia so he's he's headed in the right direction and you know and he wasn't hundred percent physically here, and a lot of people give him a lot of slack and a lot of people will you know will. will criticize aspects of his game and I think that's fair to do but it's just uh, it's just that you have to keep the bigger picture in mind sometimes and you know mm. overall I think he'll take he'll, it's just another learning experience for him 
and he'll take what he can from it. And you know, maybe we'll see we'll see him utilize his strengths better and do better in the rest of the majors going forward. Yeah. Yeah. So in terms of the other matches and like going forward, um, honestly, looking at those, like it, it, it definitely looks very interesting. I am, I'm not quite so sure Sinner can actually defeat Nadal as much as I'm not quite so sure Karina Busta can beat Djokovic. Although I do think that I'm, I'm excited to see like how Sinner does against uh, against Nadal for a perspective of a uh, new generation against older generation, like kind of passing up the baton. Especially if Sinner actually manages to get the win, it would be pretty significant in the world of tennis. Um, and for Djokovic, Karina Busta, it just kind of sounds like a. Uh, it would be. It just sounds like an interesting matchup, you know? So I feel like all of those matches right now are, are quite interesting, and I cannot really put my finger on the one that is m- most interesting. Of all of these, uh, tomorrow. I mean, of the four matches Sorry? today, of the four matches tomorrow and the day after, I think the two most interesting and open matches for me, looking at it, are Rublev against Tsitsipas mm. and uh, Dominic Team against Diego Schwartzman. For me, I'll yeah. just say really quickly what I think about Sinner versus Nadal. I think it's a super sure. super exciting match. I definitely think Sinner will test Nadal. He'll test his defense. He'll test his ability to. Um, because that's the other thing is I feel like Nadal's defense needs to be tested more. And so far he hasn't mm. played anybody who can really match his... who can really hurt him with sheer power off the ground. You know, we've seen him play against comfortable against players that he's very comfortable with that play well and hit the ball well, but they don't, they don't quite have the tools to really test his defensive paralysis on the surface. So I think Sinner will be able to get Nadal moving a lot more in the corners. And... I think uh, it's going to be actually tough for Sinner because I feel like, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll come to realize that he's, that while he's a great ball striker, while he's a great talent, while he has all the tools and all the shots and he has the uh, the movement as well, um, he he's not quite there yet. I think that Nadal will mm. use a lot of angles because he'll be able to spread the play a lot more than, say, uh, you know, Zverev was able to do, for instance. And yeah. so he's not going to, Sinner is not going to be able to hit a lot of mid-court balls and unleash on them, you know, because he's just been able to do that to his opponents and they're the ones that are moving. Instead, he's going to be the one that's going to be constantly guessing and it's going to be at Nadal's mercy because Nadal is not going to, mm. Nadal is going to be relentless. He's going to wear him down. He's going to use a lot of angles. He's going to go behind him. He's going to hit a lot of drop shots. He's going to come to the net. He'll use him the backhand slice. He'll he'll probably start serving better. He'll have greater intensity. And now he by now he's played four matches under, or three out of his four matches underneath the roof. So while it is more lower bouncing and and slower, which okay maybe doesn't help him a lot. Um, he's more accustomed to the conditions at this point, and I think he's really every single match he's just got better and better and better. So I just think we'll come to realize that Sinner will come up quite short. I think against the King of Clay. In the quarterfinals, yeah. but I'm really, really excited, and you know, you know, maybe Sinner proves me wrong, and he actually grabs a set. But I see that one going in straight sets for Nadal. Yeah, for sure. Like I, I think that uh, this match is not going to be exciting in terms of not exactly like pit, like pitching um, like two greats against each other, or you know, it's not like I'm coming into this match. Oh man, who's going to win this? You know, Nadal is clearly like a heavy favorite, like all odds in his favor. 
Um, there's probably like a, a one in 50 chances that chances that he loses this match or something like that. Uh, and but it's just interesting to see because Sinner is a good player and Nadal is a great player, and it's just going to be interesting to see just how Sinner comes up against this. Uh, although not much of a not much of a chance to him, honestly. But it'll be good experience, honestly. I think it, it's going to be great. He should only look forward to this match, honestly, and look back to it if he actually ends up losing. And because we never really know, we can never really say for sure. Uh, but if if uh, if the script holds and the seeds hold and Nadal does win, which is the most likely scenario, I just think Sinner can only draw positives from his uh, Fortnite. Yeah, couldn't agree more. I think moving on, yeah. uh, you know, in that same section, the match that I'm more looking forward to in the bottom half is the Diego Schwartzman against uh, Dominic Team. I think, uh, yeah. you know, I mean, it's, uh, it's a battle of two good friends, uh, two good, two relentless competitors. You know, Team has the edge going in with a 6-2 head-to-head, I believe. And, you know, Schwartzman has caused team problems before. He's beaten him on the clay. Um, I just think Schwartzman has looked so, so, so solid. He hasn't dropped a set so far. And, you know, we mentioned the conditions. It's really suiting him. I think pound for pound, when I watch him play, I honestly feel like he hits... I honestly don't believe that he's only 5'7". Because I saw saw Hugo Gaston was listed at 5'8". And nobody is talking about his height. I honestly feel like Schwartzman listed at 5'7". That might be too high for him I think he's even less I think he hits the ball so so big for a guy his his height like I just like I think pound for pound he probably hits the ball big, bigger than anybody and at the same time mm-hmm. he's the way he's moving on this court the way he's just looks so confident and just looks like everything is in a strike zone and he's able to like you said earlier you brought up a great point that even when he's on the defense he's able to just loop balls back and stay in rallies he's able to use his He's developed a good like backhand drop shot as well that he's been going to. Yeah. He's able to protect his serve. I think that's a big thing. That with a with a second serve like with one with one that he does, he doesn't get a whole lot of extension or height on it. So he's often mm-hmm. left vulnerable uh, in his service games. But he's able to, you know, really quickly get into position because the courts and the heavy conditions give him more time. And yeah, so he's going to be able to frustrate team that way. And he's I think he's going to use a lot of variety of his own you know I think he's going to come up he's going to do a lot of short angles he's going to hit some drop shots he's going to test team Um, I think team will have to be really quite careful I think he's running a little bit empty physically I think even in his first three four rounds you could see he was a little bit lucky to get through those in straight sets Um, particularly I remember against Jack's talk he had to save a few set points otherwise that could have gotten you know long and it could have gone into a fourth set and so you know, I think it's going to be an extremely physical match, to say the least. Yeah, and, and I just think, most likely. Yeah, and I, and I just think at the end of the day, I mean, I just think team in the biggest moments in 2020 has always managed to find another gear and go after his shots and trust and believe in them more than his opponents in these tight situations. I'm starting to realize that more and more that the more I see three setters and five setters, I'm really starting to back him in these in these moments, just because I think his physicality is so pronounced right now. And I think even when he's not playing his best tennis, I think he's showing that championship mentality of just finding a way to get through, like he did against Gaston, mm. where he just absolutely belted forehands. I mean, just hit, just closed his eyes and just went for lines at 4-3 in the fifth set yeah. for two games. And I think, mm. 
Metcalf, with a guy like Schwartzman, we're going to see a lot of breaks of serve. We're going to see a lot of, you know, a lot of breaks. It's going to, and neither guy is going to be really be able to hold many service games because I think Team is having a tough time on his serve this week as well. Yeah, which makes sense, right? Because he can't really hit through. And uh, for a player like Schwartzman, who moves already well, he's he it's it's really the reason why he beat Nadal it's because he he didn't give up on his defense and whatever chance that Nadal saw that he could probably get back into the match uh Schwarzman just closed the door granted Nadal was not playing well but he did not allow uh, Nadal to start playing well which would have been the demise of him like in that match like if Nadal gets his foot hold his foot on the door he wins it most likely. So he did pretty well there. And I think reaching that final in Rome really just bumped his uh, confidence up high. And I think he's ready to face team, honestly. I feel like he, I feel like he believes he can win it in this match. I, f- I really fully believe that he can do it. That he, I, f- I fully believe that he believes he can do it. Like, that's what I meant. Um, so it's going to be interesting. Team goes in as a favorite in this, in this match, regardless of how he's looked physically and he might be still, yeah. you know, you know, like you said, recovering from the physical and mental toll that it took to win New York. And he didn't play any lead up into this, but it doesn't really matter. I mean, he loves these. Yeah. I mean, I don't think the conditions hurt team in any way, to be honest. I think he's grown up playing in a lot of these conditions in Austria where it's very cold. And I think he's he's a guy who can adjust to yeah. any kind of clay court in 30 minutes, to be honest with you. I don't think he needs a whole lot yeah, of, I think, yeah. let's say, prep. And he's shown that this week and he's really been battle tested. And I think he will step it up a gear uh, in terms of level than what yeah. he had against Gaston. And it just might be too yeah, much it's... power for for Schwartzman. So I'm going to go with team in four tight sets. I do think Schwartzman has a good mm-hmm. chance to really scare team and maybe even maybe even push it to five. You never know. But I think yeah. I think I'll go with team in four. Team is coming through. Yeah. Team in four sets. Yeah, it's my pick. And then I guess the final match that we can talk about before we move on to the women's is a rematch of the yeah. Hamburg final between Stefano Tsitsipas yeah. and Andre Rublev. Both uh, Rublev has been a guy who, you know, many people on tennis Twitter, rightfully so, have been touting pretty high in 2020. He's won three titles. He's won the most, I think, the second most matches of anyone on the tour, apart from Djokovic, obviously. And so he mm-hmm. just looks, I mean, I just, I'm, I'm actually super impressed by both these guys. Just because of the, mm-hmm. the fast turnaround that they had um, in Hamburg, I think in Hamburg we saw that Tsitsipas served for the match in the third set, and then Rublev ran away with it in the end and won four straight games. And it might have been some kind of, uh, you know, uh, hangover from the U.S. Open or those memories coming back. I can't quite close, you know, like he had against Chorich at the U.S. Open. I'm talking about Stefanos. Yeah. But nonetheless, it was a great week for both of them, and I thought they wouldn't be able to match it honestly uh, at the French Open I thought the turnaround was too quick I thought that it was going to be too physical and that I certainly didn't expect both of them to get to the quarterfinals and they proved me wrong I mean in the first round they were both down two sets to love Rublev was down two sets to love and two five in the third set and he came back and won against Sam Querrey and I mean since then they've just looked they've just looked rock solid I mean I watched some Tsitsipas against Dimitrov today and I mean he just had too much for Grigor just too much variety, mm-hmm. way too much. I think the surface really suits Tsitsipas. I think a lot of people uh, talk about which kind of surface helps Tsitsipas. I think the clay really helps him because he's able to, you know, it accentuates a lot of his strengths, which is the on the backhand side, if you notice on a lot of the other courts, he's having to go to the slice a lot more and he's having to defend a lot more. 
versus I think on the clay, mm-hmm. he's able to, it gives him more time. And so he's really able to hit those loopy high shots over the net and get a lot of margin and protect that backhand wing easier. He's able to dictate with the forehand, which mm-hmm. anyway is the best, one of the best on the tour. He has this all-court game. He loves coming to the net. He uses the angles very well. He mixes in the drop shots. So he has a very complete game. And of course, he's very physically strong. And, you know, a guy like Rublev is just tearing through the ball. I mean, he just he just crushes every single ball, forehand and backhand. He just sees ball, hits ball, and hits it violently yeah. and hard. And just, uh, and, 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 and I mean, it, it's it's working because he's, he's he calibrates them well. He's got great racket head acceleration, and he's able to, mm-hmm. and he, he's really surprising me, honestly, because I feel like in terms of game in this matchup, I feel, you kind of feel like Tsitsipas has more options. He has more tools in his arsenal. Yeah. He has more variety. He can employ more. But then against Rublev, you know, none of that matters because Rublev is still able to hit hard enough and hit linearly enough to hit through him. And that's why he's 2-0 and against him. But I think, mm. I think honestly, Rublev has had more longer matches. Like, he had a really brutal match today against Fuksovic. And Fuksovic had plenty of chances to win that match. He almost went up two sets to love. I think he was up 5-2. And it could have been two mm-hmm. sets to love up. And still, Rublev fought. I mean, he's a he's an absolute fighter. His mentality, his Russian mentality is is strong. Yeah. And he just, he, he just hits through any tension or any nerves that he must have. I mean... It's just amazing. You know, I feel bad for the balls every time he hits <laughs> he hits them because it's just I can't believe how hard he's hitting them. Yeah, it's it's sort of the thing. Like for me, Rublev is is in the sense he plays the way that I wish Hachinov would play. <laughs> it's like hitting more more hard shots and just going for it, like being really um, intentional about like dictating the points and playing the way. He, uh, very just like a very aggressive brand of tennis, which is just Rublev, right, all the way through. And it's I don't know I don't know how much uh, game he has in terms of like his touch, uh, but it just seems that he just he just prefers to hit the ball right through it, as he as you said, like he, and he moves so well around the court. And it's a very simple. Quite I think the way the reason why it's holding up, I think, is also you look at players who have a lot of options, right? And they kind of have to think, mm-hmm. okay, like what shot do I hit at what time? And so shot selection becomes a little bit of an issue under pressure. Not for him. This yeah. guy's game is super simple. I mean, he just knows. He, he he just knows he can just hit two two patterns basically. I mean inside out forehand, inside in forehand. Boom 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 boom. Down the line backhand yeah, boom. That's it. And you know I mean you're right. His transition game needs work. He's got to improve. He doesn't have a whole lot of touch because he just hasn't needed to. Just hasn't needed to use yeah. any of those tools. I think his second serve is a bit of a weakness. Like you know sometimes it it just kind of sits up. It's waiting to be hit. But I mean he's he's moving well when he's stretched out wide and he's able to get so much racket head speed that. You you just like he's just so dangerous when you when he has a when he's in the right position to hit these balls. So I think yeah. uh, it'll be super interesting to see what what Sitsipas does. And I think the fact that it's three out of five sets, you know, and the fact that you know he might be more fresher physically um, at this point, I, I I actually think this one could go five sets of, of all the four matches. I think this one is the most open match. And I feel like it's the most yeah. likely to go five sets. So I, I'll go with Tsitsipas in five sets if I were to make a prediction. I Yeah. Honestly, I, it, given just uh, a sheer like objectivity in terms of like Tsitsipas plays a certain type of tennis, Rublev plays a certain type of tennis, based only on those ca- categories of uh, like judging this tennis match, I would say Tsitsipas goes through in four tight sets. But it depends on how Tsitsipas handles his mindset. I feel like 
uh, at this point, Rublev is 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 just solid mentally. Yeah, I, I feel exactly the same Sorry? way as you. I feel exactly the same way as you. Yeah, uh, you, the reason I yeah. went with five and not four is I just think somewhere he'll just have a dip, and he might he might like yeah. he might have an opportunity to serve for the fourth set. I could see him getting broken, and then all of a sudden the scar tissue from the U.S. Open comes back, and you know, like I, I, like these things, as much as they as much as people say they linger, they do to a certain extent, but. Uh, the good thing about three out of best of five sets is that he's been in that position once. He knows what he did wrong against Chorich. He knows the mistakes that he made, and I just don't think it'll linger as long as people are saying. I, I really think he's he's strong enough that he can he can forget about that or at least use that experience. So I agree with you. Yeah, I agree with you on that. But yeah, like in, in yeah, but in terms of uh, shot selection, I do agree hundred percent with you that the more shots you have in your arsenal, the more you have to be. Um, intelligent to use them so i feel like this could this is definitely something that is going to favor rublev and probably the thing that actually has favor rublev in, in his two victories against him is that he didn't have to think much he just has to play his game and that's it while like tcpas sometimes he feels like he doesn't necessarily know what shot to pick and and that's normal for players like him i feel like that's normal for it's not talked about enough but it's normal for a lot of players with one-handed backhands who just have more options and more ways to win points with a slice with a backhand volley with a drop shot with the angles. I just think it takes them a little bit longer to peak and really hit their stride. We've seen it with team. We've seen it with Stan Wawrinka. We've seen it with, even with Federer. It took him yeah. about three, four, five years to really understand the bread and butter shots. And I think that's what that's the phase that Stefanos is going through. That's why it's taking him... That's why he's not having these consistent slam results. Because he made the semifinals of Australia two years ago, right? In 2019. He made the semis. Yeah. He beat Federer. He got to the semis. But then since then, he's been losing in the first week of majors because I just think it's it's hard to... It, the shot selection can be tough in those moments. And I think I think this is a good opportunity for him on clay to get to another semifinal. So I'm anticipating a Djokovic-Sitsipas semifinal and a team that all semifinal. Yeah, I think it, I, I, I'm really excited for those two as well. And I think um, Tsitsipas would be... A really good challenge for for Djokovic after after Karina Busa if Tsitsipas can actually play well uh, in this match, and I I think he would. I think um, being underdog probably helps him more more than not. So yeah. And speaking of which, uh, since that we've picked pretty much the same stuff for the semifinals, um, let's just go go ahead and just like say off uh, right away up to the uh, winner. Yeah, sure. So I mean, I, I think out of Rublev and Tsitsipas, I think. Um, there's more data to go off of because, like we've, we've mentioned, Tsitsipas will get through. And so, mm-hmm. and Rublev has never played Djokovic, but I always thought that Tsitsipas would be a bigger test for Djokovic just because of everything we mentioned with his all-court game, his transition game, his strong uh, mentality and the belief that he'll have when he walks on the court. He'll walk on that court in that semifinal knowing, which by the way, I think it'll be the second match because I think the bottom half of the draw went first, so their semifinal will be first. So I think... Uh, He's going to walk in uh, on that day feeling like he has a shot at Djokovic. And so I, f- I feel like it, it will be a really good match. Um, I just don't think Djokovic... I just don't think Tsitsipas has a big enough serve at this point in his career. A big enough big enough complete game right now. Maybe he will in a couple of years. But I just think Djokovic's experience, his, uh, his, the way he's been looking on, on big points, the clarity that he has... Um, and the fact that he's freaking Novak Djokovic and he's going to win, yeah. he's going for a second career 
he's going for a double career Grand Slam, you know, if he gets the second French Open. And uh, mm-hmm. and everything that's happened to him the past six months, he's going to be absolutely locked in and he's going to be in lockdown mode. And he's not going to miss a lot. And Tsitsipas is going to have to press and go for more and go for more and go for more. And Djokovic will be, be able to extract a lot of errors and and it's going to be tough for Tsitsipas, especially if the Rublev match goes on for a really long time, right? It'll be tough mm-hmm. to recover too. So I, I like Djokovic in four sets in that semifinal. Mm-hmm. And then the team Nadal, I'm, you know what? I can't go back on my predictions that I did with Owen because that, that would be hedging. So I have to stick with that. And, you know, yeah. look, unless I see something absolutely drastically different, uh, in their quarterfinal matches, I'm just going to stick with what I had originally, which was team beating Nadal um, and doing it in an epic fashion in four or five sets um, mm. in a match where um, where I just thought that Nadal might not be as battle-tested as team. And I thought that if there's any year that, you know, team feels most confident about his chances, it's this year. And I feel like if it was indoors, that might help team a lot more. Just because I just don't think the ball would kick up that high and, and get to teams' backhand. And I think Nadal would have to find a lot of other ways to win points at the net or test teams' fitness and physicality, which at this point, if you're telling me physicality, I think team is the most physical and most fit player on the tour. So I just think, you know, this time with with the, the way things have lined up, I, I, ha- I have him winning. And, you know, I could be completely wrong and Nadal wins. And, you know, it's the same business as usual, but I, I went for this pick early in the tournament So I, before the, when the draw came out, so I, I guess I have to stick with it. And then I have Djokovic mm. coming through and, and beating team again in the final. Just because I think it would be really hard for team to win <clears throat> against Schwartzman and then Djokovic and Nadal back-to-back, which no one's ever done in a major before. It's just too much mm. of a tough task. So, yeah, yeah I have Djokovic win yeah. the second French Open. Yeah, that's cool. It would be, uh, in terms of uh, tennis records, I think you'll be incredible. Probably one of the best uh, seasons ever. Even if it's just like a shortened season, if team could actually get um, get through Nadal and Djokovic to win his tournament, uh, because he would not only be that, but he would be winning his second Grand Slam in a row and his second Grand Slam overall, obviously. But like, I think... I think it would be so interesting, so fascinating to see if team actually made that that jump. Because it would be more than just winning a second Grand Slam. It would be, it would be just showing that he's on a completely different level as well. He's just up there already, you know. That's in my opinion. He would be like, he would be even possibly higher than Stan Wawrinka in my mind if he does that, to be honest with you. It's such a mountainous achievement. But then he yeah. had reached the finals of all three slams played this year. It's true. Like that would be, yeah, that would be like a, like something we've never seen before in tennis history. Because these are the two yeah. of the greatest players of the past ten years, like without question. Mm-hmm. These these two titans of the French yeah. Open. Yeah. So yeah, I in terms of uh, semifinals and final, I do I, I do agree as well that uh, is gonna I. Djokovic is going to go through. I do think Djokovic is going to make this a little bit easier. I think it's going to be like in straight sets as well. I think Djokovic's first set loss will be in the final. Um, and 
I feel like uh, team, even though he's very fit, I do think that um, matches are going to be taking the toll on him. And I think Nadal will be able to come through in, in four. I, I am making... I feel that way as well, but I just can't go back on what I said before the tournament. <laughs> I am lucky because I didn't make a prediction, so I can do this right now. I'm just I, with a little bit more information <laughs> under my belt. So my predictions are the less valuable. <laughs> but anyways, uh, I, I do think that um, Nadal is going to make it through in, in four. And I, I think that... Djokovic now is going to be a solid five-set match. And I really cannot really give much of a margin. I I have I, I feel it in my heart that Djokovic is going to win this one as a fan. But it's 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 a tough call. It's a, it's as always a tough call. And Nadal is Nadal is the king of clay, right? I mean, 12 Roland Garros is not. You don't just do it. It's not just because of the conditions, right? Because it's stretched um, uh, around like more than like almost 15 years winning all those titles right so actually 15 years right he it's in 15 years he won 12 times so yeah it's not it's not just the conditions so he will be able to adapt and he has shown a lot of adaptability in being pretty much the favorite in the tournament honestly to me but i think djokovic is going to win in five yeah i mean i i, I like it about going for the double career Grand Slam yeah yeah which, by the way, would give him not only the double Korea Grand Slam, but also the double Surface Slam. Like, it's like a 2 in one package. 2 in one exactly. Yeah, it would put him on, a, on another level as far as GOAT debates go. That's for sure. So, yeah, yeah I mean, we, it'll be super interesting to see all the action and see, see what happens. Hopefully the tournament, you know, progresses. And we and the matches stay on time, and we we don't see any major major negative storylines coming the next week. Yeah, uh, with COVID cases rising and stuff like that. And I just hope we we see some really exciting quarterfinal, semifinal, final matches, which are so deserving on the men's side, and it's been fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, it's in all in all honesty. Like I think it, the fact that this tournament is going on, it's a little bit iffy in the sense that um, COVID regulations and whatnot are are kind of um, there's something uh, lacking a little bit in terms of that still. But like I'm just hoping that, as you said, like we're not gonna have any bad news. Any uh, as deep as we are in this tournament, you'll be incredibly bad if and sad if like we had to um, have a player or two. Um, withdraw because of that or even worse like maybe have the entire tournament canceled that would be the most disastrous thing of 2020 um you know so yeah there's just hoping in hoping that the tournament actually finishes and finishes well and nothing bad happens yeah that's that's it yeah that's all we can hope for at this point in 2020 especially when three of the four majors were played in the when we're playing three out of four majors in a year with a global pandemic i think you know we should all be really grateful and really be super, super, you know, quite pleasantly surprised and happy that it's that it's happening. Because yeah. I would have thought four months ago that we would we would get to have three, we would get to have two of the, the majors back and two masters, and you know, even if we don't get any tennis the rest of the year, I mean, yeah, I mean, what a treat! Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I guess with that, we can just end, end this episode. And uh, it was a great discussions about uh, the men's tour again. And 
Rolling Arrows, as much as we keep doing uh, predictions every year, probably Nadal's going to win again. <laughs> and uh, as Almagro said so famously, uh, it's going to be 65 and still winning Rolling Arrows. <laughs> it, it was hilarious. Probably one of the most hilarious quotes ever. <laughs> In Nadal Arrows, yeah. The uh, French Open, the Rafa Nadal Open. Yeah, I mean, I just imagine if he yeah. wins more French Opens than Pete Santos, than Slams. Oh gosh, it, it could it could totally happen. <laughs> He's only like three away. <laughs> so yeah. Anyways, so yeah, I'll, I'll see you. I'll see you later. Yeah, thanks a lot, Andre. It was a lot of fun. And yeah, hopefully our, our listeners will enjoy will enjoy this episode as well as the rest of the French Open. Uh, be sure to rate, subscribe, and leave us a review on iTunes. Or give us a mm-hmm. five star rating. Check it. Check out. Um, check this out on Anchor, Spotify, or any other platform of your choice. And. Yeah. Share it with your friends and family and follow us on social media. And uh, we'll be doing another episode soon. So, Yeah. On social media, you can follow us at twi- on Twitter at uh, VanshV2K. Uh, and uh, me, it's a tennis underscore bagels. And just tell us if... If you agree with our predictions, if you think that we were just we just way too conservative, or just join the discussion, it's fun. Um, so yeah, uh, Yvonne Shari, you mentioned all the important things. So we'll see you guys later. Bye bye. Have a great one. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.